949. Good morning. Uh, today's lesson, I don't usually title lessons, but um, I'll call this one Being Refined. So being refined. Um, we'll see that in the scripture quite a bit. I know we don't talk about it much. Um, but the word refined is actually in, it's a very Old Testament word. Um, that's really the, the main places that we find that word. And uh, along with that, we're going to also discuss some other stuff in regards to, that are synonymous with refining, like purging and chastening this morning. A um, couple of definitions. To refine is to remove impurities or unwanted elements from a substance, typically as part of an industrial process. Uh, improving something by making small changes, in particular, make an idea, theory, or method more subtle and accurate. To purge, the definition is to rid someone or something of an unwanted quality, condition, or feeling. To chasten. To chasten is to discipline, to punish, or severely criticize, especially with the intention of improving someone's behavior. It can mean to tame or subdue or to moderate or restrain someone's behavior. In all cases, it typically involves some form of discipline or negative consequences for the person being chastened. So this morning, we're going to look at these terms really through the eye of the scripture, not necessarily a worldly definition, but I think... Um, the world and the scripture are on the same page when it comes to defining these. Basically, a way to change a person. All right? So we're going to look at these through the eye of the scriptures. We're going to see processes in which the individual can be changed. And usually what we're going to find is these are, this stuff comes through difficulties. Um, these terms usually, if not almost always, are in, in conjunction with hardship and difficult times. Um, a lot of our... A lot of uh, the reading today is going to come from the Old Testament, because like I said, the word refine typically comes from there. Now, usually when we're being refined or purged or chastened, um, there's trials and temptation. So that's where we go to James chapter 1, verse 4. James says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away from it by his own uh, own desires and enticed. Okay? Um, and earlier said, hey, uh, count it all joy when you fall into various trials and temptations. All right? So, what I want to look at this morning is like, what do these things look like? Rather than just say, hey, we have to uh, endure these things like trials and temptations, what do these things, in a biblical sense, what do these look like? And I couldn't help but think of the temptation of Jesus. In, uh, in the book of Luke, um, Luke chapter 4, we start at verse 4, and he says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. Now, I just have to stop real quick and say, there's a difference between being tempted and sinning. Okay, there's a, there's a difference, because if someone was tempted and that meant they sinned, then there'd be no difference between those words. Okay? So I just wanted to throw that in there. Because Jesus was tempted, but we know the Scripture says He was tempted, yet He was without sin. All right? 
for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And they were, when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and in a moment of time, uh, a world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to, to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And he took, he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from until the next opportune time. So here's what temptation looks like. Now, usually it's, it's Satan trying to draw you away to do something that God has told you either to do or not to do. All right? God has said, do this, and there's an opportunity to do something completely contrary to God's word. All right? And when we see, we look in the book of James, and it talks about being drawn away by your own lusts and desires. All right, so that's what temptation looks like when we're, when we're basically tempted to be drawn away to do something other than God has commanded us. All right? Now, let's describe tri uh, trials, and I can't help but think of Job in Job chapter 1. Now, I'm not going to go through everything that he had encountered, uh, but we'll go through a serious portion of it just so we can get a, a glimpse of what temptations look like from a biblical perspective what trials look like from a biblical perspective. All right? Job chapter 1, starting at verse 13. Now there was a day when the... And let me back up before I go on and read this. There was, there was some discussion between God and, and Satan before all this took place. Basically, God had showed Satan, hey, have you seen Job? Job is a, you know, a good and righteous man. All right. And a side note, how good is it to be referred to by God of, hey, look at this guy, you know, kind of set him up as, hey, this this is a faithful man here. He does. He does. Basically does what I say. So and there's this conversation between uh, God and Satan that Job is good and Satan basically challenges God that, well, he's good because you do all this good for him. And so Satan is allowed to basically strip Job away of his possessions and his family, as we're going to read here, and then further his health, all right? But he's, he's unable, God is, does not allow him to kill Job, all right? Here's the trial that he's going through. Now, there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house, and a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the, do and the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabians raided them and took them away, indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was, while he was still speaking, this messenger, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, 
So now you have multiple messengers coming at the same time. All right, this is not just individual occurrences. This is all happening at once. Verse 17, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away. Yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind from across the wilderness uh, came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell on the young people, and they, they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job rose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. Now you can see that Job is being put through a huge trial, and in some ways a temptation, because he could have turned around and basically cursed God for all the calamity that came upon him. He could have done that, but he didn't. And so the scripture says, like in verse 22, in all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Now, this is a huge trial. This is probably the worst trial that a person that's recorded in the scripture. There are others. There's also, you know, there's other um, kings and things like that, that that went through some of their own trials and uh, tribulations because basically because of the sin and wrongdoing that was in their lives. But Job is one of, the, one of the best examples of someone who really went through a personal trial and he endured. Now he faltered in some areas. You got to go read through the entire book to get the entire truth about Job. He wasn't perfect in the whole thing because remember towards the end, God, God lit him up in a couple of chapters. 37 and 38 and 39, I believe. And Job basically had to respond in repentance in uh, chapters 40 towards the end. Okay? Uh, just a little side note about that. So we see kind of what a trial looks like. I know none of us have really gone through that in our whole lives, but those are, those are some examples of a biblical trial and, and temptation. All right? So with this, how do we put this in with like refining. That's what we started out with, right? With refining, with chastening, you know, with, with purging, all kind of a cleansing process, all right? So God uses these things, and I'm gonna use a lot of Old Testament examples, but God had used these things to basically change his people in a few ways. And really, the first one I, I can think of and the most, uh, the most consistent reason for God using trials uh, to basically change his people is to bring about righteousness. If we read Malachi chapter 3, verse 2 through 4, he says, But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Now I want to stop right there. A lot of the refining done back in ancient times was done with heat. Um, you'll, we'll also see scriptures where, it, you know, he talks about here um, a refiner's fire. And in the next sentence, he says, he'll, he will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver. When they did this in the past, and we, we do this nowadays, but there's other methods. There's methods of using chemicals to purify a server, uh, silver, you know, extracting, you know, gold and precious metals out of something. There's other methods, but in ancient times, they used heat a lot of times. You know, they used fire to purify 
um, silver. And, and the more times they would do it, the more pure they would get that, that metal. Now, they do that with other things also. Um, I think about, uh, I was watching with the kids, I was watching a, a YouTube video on, on how someone was making a knife. And he basically put a bunch of metal together and then eventually had to put it in heat and, and pound it and shape it and put it in heat again and pound it and shape it, you know, because being, being in this extreme heat helped that metal to be more moldable to what the person, you know, the, the, uh, the person building the knife wanted it to look like. Well, that's essentially what God is trying to do with us. And usually that fire is, is an indicator of there's difficulty. All right. So back to the scripture here in Malachi 2, or chapter 3, 2 through 4. And he will purify, notice how there's that refining and purifying. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present the Lord offerings in what? Offerings in righteousness. That was the whole reason for the refining and the purifying. He's trying to bring about righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. So ultimately, God's goal for refining us, for purging, for chastening, his goal is to bring about righteousness. And like the last verse says in verse 4, he says, so we can be pleasing to the Lord, so we can be pleasing to him. All right? Also, uh, in, in the New Testament, Paul talks about that, or I should say the Hebrew writer in uh, Hebrews 12, 11, now he says, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So once again, ultimately, God is trying to get us to be righteous through, these, through this tough process. And like he said, nobody's, it's not joyful, it stinks. It's not fun. But he's trying to bring righteousness about in the people who love him. Because he loves us. You know, we, got, we think about this also as parents. We don't discipline, we don't chasten so that we, you know, without purpose. The purpose is that our kids get better, so our kids grow, so our kids um, can be, you know, can be uh, better Christians or just better human beings in general. That's why we chasten and discipline. God's the same way with us, and we do this out of love. It might not seem that way from a kid's perspective, you know, if, if I got disciplined growing up, I didn't think, hey, dad loves me because I just got whooped with a belt. I didn't think that. But I look back now, and the scripture will also give this example. I look back now with respect to my parents because they disciplined me for the wrong that I was doing. So yeah, it wasn't pleasant at the time, but it was for a good purpose. Same thing if we go through something uh, in relation to uh, spiritual things, spiritual trials that, that we're going through. Let's not get mad at God, but be appreciative of those trials. Um, God had to chasten the nation of Israel many times, Israel and Judah. Um, once again, more, test, more Old Testament examples. The people of God were put into captivity many times, and it wasn't because they were doing good. It's because they completely forgot them in the way they lived their lives or the way they worshiped. There were so many things. Go read the book of, of, of Kings and Chronicles and a lot of the major prophets. All, it, especially in, in the prophets, the majority of what they were doing was speaking against the nation, their own nation of Israel and Judah because they were, they were disobedient to God. And God led them into captivity. 
for punishment, yes, but also to discipline them, not just to punish them and throw them away, but to punish them and bring them out of their sins. And some of the chapters, if you're, if you're writing down notes, um, some of the chapters like 2 Kings 18, 2 Kings 24 and 25, 2 Chronicles 36 and Jeremiah 52, those are just a small handful of chapters where it discusses where they were led into captivity to the Assyrians, to Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. But it was all because they walked away from God in their actions. Notice how when they, the nation of Israel was living right and doing good, you never see this, them throw, you know, getting thrown into captivity or slavery. All right? Eventually, because of this, this chastening and refining from God, eventually, one of the things that we pretty much never saw again was idolatry. If you go into like uh, Ezekiel, I believe it's uh, 36. You know, eventually, we didn't see idolatry anymore. They struggled with that over the course of the Old Testament. And through all this this captivity and then coming back to God, going back into captivity, leaving God or, and, or following God again, they finally got away from idolatry. So, so really God had gotten that out of them, but it took some time. All right. Now it makes us uh, going, through, going through this chastening and things like that, it makes us more holy. If we go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10, we're just kind of in that section. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10. He says, For they indeed, he's still talking about chastening, for they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit. See, God chastening us, chastening us, disciplining us for our benefit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, God is trying to make, make us, by this process, he's trying to make us more holy. All right? Just like we as parents, when we discipline our kids, we're trying to make them better. Same thing. Because we love them, he, and he loves us also. Let's go over to James chapter 1, verse 3. James chapter 1, verse 3. What's something else that we gain, you know, what is God using this for to bring about in us? And he says, in verse 3, he says, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. You know, another word that's really synonymous with, with patience, I believe, is endurance. You know, if we're able to endure something, we're able to stand up in the midst of it. We're able to continue on. You know, I think of... I think of something, someone like preparing for a marathon. There's no way, okay, a marathon being what, 26.2 miles usually? If you read that little sticker people like to put on the back of their cars. So 26.2 miles. I can't imagine even me in my best shape that I've ever been. Let's say I'm 20, 21 years old. There's no way that I could step out the door one day and run 26.2 miles, like even finish it. There's no way I could do it unless I built up my endurance. There's no way. You know, I've, I've seen people over the course of many years prepare for marathons, and it's a continual building up. You know, first starting out with running a couple miles, then it turns into five, then it turns into 10, then it turns into 15 to 20, then, you know, 26. Um, 
but it took a long time for them to build up that endurance so they wouldn't fall apart on, the, you know, on, this, on this long journey, on this long run. So God is building that within us through these, these trials and, and temptations and, and resisting those temptations. All right, God is building that in us. So what should our response be to these trials and temptations? You know, this refining, this chastening, this, this purging. What should our response be? Now, what's our normal response? Our normal response is what? Why God, right? Why am I going through this? You know, why, why am I going through health problems? Why am I going through, you name it, right? And actually, let me stop and, and have a little side point for a second. If we're living in sin, we've basically made our own trials, all right? If, think about this. If I, if I, let's pick the easy one, if I rob a bank and then I, I get caught or I'm running from the cops or I'm in, I'm in fear of, uh, you know, getting caught, you know, I have my consequences right there. I've made my own trials and tribulations right there because I'm living in sin or if I murder someone or so on and so forth. I'll be going, I'll be going through my own trials and tribulations, all right? But we're talking about if we as faithful Christians are going through these, what is our response supposed to be? First of all, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be why God? Even though that's the easiest thing to think of. When it's, when it's a tough time, we don't like it. It stinks. It's difficult. It shouldn't be why God? Um, and this is tough, and I think we just we have to get better at this as as we become more mature Christians. We have to honestly we have to teach each other this and teach our kids this. We got to we should be thankful, and that's tough. It's tough to think of that, and I can tell you this just from previous experience, um, like being in the hospital. My first couple days when we don't know what's going on, my first thing wasn't exactly to be thankful, just yet. Just yet. Um, it wasn't to be thankful that, you know, I had, you know, I found out like, hey, I got a couple spots on my brain. This is a big deal. It didn't come to mind to be thankful. You know what I'm saying? Just yet. But we need to be thankful when these difficulties arise because we've got to think about this. And I, I want to read over this verse real quick. My brethren, count it all joy... When you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Count it all joy. So be happy. Be thankful. Because you know what? Really, this is, let's, let's think a more positive way about this. Instead of the negative, this is an opportunity. Like we all talk about we want to grow as Christians, right? You know, we pray that help us to grow as Christians, help us to be better, help us to this and that, right? We want to do more, be more as a, as a Christian, as a follower of God. Well, these are your opportunities. And be thankful that they're there because you know what? These things are going to make you better. So we need to change our perspective when it comes to, I mean, really, we have to take a biblical perspective on trials and tribulations and temptations. It's opportunity to be a better Christian. All right? And also a part of that, hey, with the temptation, as it says in James, basically we have to endure that temptation, which means we stay away from sin. We can still be strengthened, all right, but we have to stay away from that sin. So it's opportunity.
to be a better Christian. Now, we, we need to understand it's going to be difficult. All right, and I think uh, my generation and the generations to come and new generations coming up, I think we've, we've lost sight of this, this difficulty with being okay with it, you know? And we, we kind of forgot that, you know, like the generations where, you know, like my grandparents and, and other people's parents, when they, they lived through the Depression, you know, the Great Depression, we, that's something that we've never seen, like not even close. They lived through the Great Depression. You know, I remember my grandparents talking about growing up on the farm and they had, they had one or two outfits that they had to wash every day to go to school. And, and they basically living on the farm had to raise their own food on a daily basis. You know, and the whole walking uphill five miles and 10 feet of snow to school each day. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of those things, I know we, we kind of laugh and chuckle a little bit, but you know what those, those difficulties built? They built a strong and a tough generation that we, you know, that we are not as America right now. So we've kind of shunned difficulties. And somewhere along the line, I don't know when it started, but we, difficulties became taboo. We want our kids to have it easy. We want, you know, well, it's not, it may not build strength. And we want to obviously apply that in a spiritual focus this morning. It's okay to have some difficulties because we need to build strength. So having an understanding, I think, helps get through the difficulty. You know, I remember playing sports in high school. You know, you're, we'd, where I went, we had a huge hill in football that we'd run constantly for, you know, for building up endurance. Um, if it would have clicked in my head that, hey, this is going to make us better, it might have made it a little easier that, hey, we have to go through tough things if we want to be a tough team. And it's okay. It's a part of the process. But we were never, that was never communicated. All right? And I think that's something that we need to embrace from the Scripture, that it's going to be difficult. And, and the Hebrew writer kind of preps us for that in Hebrews 12, 11. He says, now no chastening, so no discipline, this refining this purging, <coughs> excuse me, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. Of course not, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So if we desire to be anything more, to be holier to God, to be more righteous, to be stronger, to be more used, uh, to be used more for his, for his purpose, we're going to have to submit ourselves to these painful processes. Um, anything that I've seen, either myself or anybody else, attain, if you've attained anything life, in life, whether it was you know, in family, in school, in work, um, it came through difficulty. It came through stress. It came through failure and getting back up and, and pushing forward. Anything I've seen anybody attain. And think about working out. If you're going to build any muscle, if you're going to lose any weight, if you're going to gain, make any strides, there's going to be pain. There's going to be discipline. There's going to be struggle. You know, we all know what that looks like, but we need to apply that to spiritual things. So understand it's going to be difficult, but embrace that process. And in, you know, and in turn, he says that at the end, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. There is light at the end of the tunnel. There is the reward. 
for all the hard work and all the difficulty. And that's a part of the process. Uh, sometimes we might, we might even have to run to the challenge ourselves. You know, hey, I need to grow in this area, so I need to start taking on, let's say, more responsibility. You know, I want to know God more. I read the scripture more. You know, um, hey, I'm, I'm afraid to reach out to my friends or family. Well, I guess I got to take the step out, even though I'm scared and it's going to stink because it's going to be tough. Well, I might have to take the first step in order to grow, but it's going to be difficult. But eventually you'll get accustomed to it and you'll be better for it. All right. You know, and along with this, this process, you know, I want to go back to understanding it would be difficult. I think that's something that we need to understand as our generation and we need to share that with the up and coming generation that, hey, living the Christian life, yes, it's great. And yes, there's so many benefits to it. And, you know, first and foremost, you're right with God and you can, you know, when you pass away from this life, you'll be in heaven with him for eternity. Um, but there's going to be challenges, but it's okay. It's a part of the journey and it's necessary if you're going to grow. You got to have it. It's got to be there. And something to get you through uh, a lot of these, you know, a lot of this process and the difficulty and things like that, you know, especially when it comes to dealing with temptation, you got to be, you got to still, you got to be in the word all the time. And I can't help but think of Psalm 119, uh, verses 9 and 10. Where the writer, the writer of this psalm in particular, he said, How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So as you're going through these things, having the word close to you on a continual basis is going to help you through those things. going to help you stay away from temptation. Back to when uh, earlier when we talked about Jesus and being tempted in the desert. What did he always respond to Satan with? It is written, for it is set. Basically, he was using the scripture saying, hey, no, you're wrong. I'm going, I'm going God's way and not yours. So the scripture has always got to be present in your daily life in order to withstand these trials and temptations in this, in this cleansing process, but be open to it. And I think, I believe you'll be um, a, better, a better Christian for it, more holy and acceptable to God. And that's essentially the goal. So that's all I have for this morning. If anyone, um, if anyone hasn't heard the gospel before, either here or online, we'll just quickly give it to you in a couple of steps. So basically, the gospel is that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin and lived a, sin, a sinless life and died on the cross for your sins. Jesus Christ, he had come from, from God. And he was raised again uh, three days after being, after being crucified. Right? And, and with that, you need to believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son and come from Him. Uh, John 3.16. You need to repent from your sins. Uh, Luke 11.3. Luke 11, you know, I tell you, if you don't repent, you will, basically, if you don't repent, you will perish like, like these other nations that Jesus had talked about earlier. Um, you got to confess Jesus before men. Uh, Romans uh, 10.17. Hey, if he says, if you confess me, um, um, confession, I'm going to have to look it up because I don't want <laughs> to mix that one up. Romans 10, 17. I apologize, but I don't want to lead you in the wrong direction. It's not in Acts 17. 
Romans 10, 17. Said, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. Um, but really what I meant to say is Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God, that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You have to be willing to confess Jesus before men, that Jesus is Christ is your son and you're following him. You have to repent. Um, so you have to believe, you have to repent, confess, and finally be baptized for the remission of your sins, for the forgiveness of your sins, Acts 2.38 and 1, uh, 1 Peter 3.21. Um, today, we're here to assist you with those things. If, you have any, if any members of the church need any help or assistance or prayers, uh, we stand ready to help you with that as we stand and sing.